I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. comes with a 20-year warranty. And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Fatima Sayed of the National Observer. Hi, Jesse. How's it going? Good. How are you? I'm okay. We are going to talk today about the cross-partisan solidarity and compassion that our press and politicians have shown to the victims of the New Zealand mosque massacre. Just kidding. It's been gross. And details of the coming news bailout ooze out of this week's budget. Shocker. I am displeased. Welcome back. Thank you for having me. Always for the fun topics. Yeah. This episode of Shortcuts is brought to you by Natalie Gibb, Parth Pasnani, Stephen Angel, Elizabeth Brown, Kat Lantain, Jillian Vrooman, Aaron Young, and Frank Arsenault. Hi, my name is Frank Arsenault. I'm a lawyer living in Montreal. I support Canada Land because I believe Canada needs more independent investigative journalism and more shows like Commons and Thunder Bay. Also, I enjoy listening to Jesse call out the media on their bullshit. And Fatima, this episode is brought to everybody by FreshBooks. Have we talked about FreshBooks? We haven't. Wow. Okay. Well, it is tax time. You are a journalist. You might have to send the odd invoice. I have many invoices, Jesse. FreshBooks is the solution for people like ourselves who need invoices for small businesses or for freelance practices. And I think it's the kind of thing that getting over the hump of like paying money 
for something where, you know, we know how to craft an invoice in an email even. People send me invoices through an email and I think less of them for it. I, I would never stop working with them. Wait, so you think less of me? I, I, uh, we, I don't directly receive the invoices anymore, so I haven't had the opportunity to... Well, why don't you get out of FreshBooks, for God's sake? This okay, okay, I'm going to download it. I'm going to download it. It will save you time, and it will save you money, and it will uh, improve the uh, conception that your clients have of you. So check it out. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. Give it a whirl. It's free for 30 days. And once you start doing it, you're just going to be like, ah, out of self-respect, I'm going to keep doing it this way because it's the better way to do it. And then you'll become a customer. When you do, tell them Canada Land sent you. I rise today to express Canada's deepest condolences to all those grieving in New Zealand. Just a few days ago, our friend and ally suffered the worst terrorist attack in their history. Of course, we offer our most heartfelt condolences and we stand in solidarity with the victims and their families. Though it happened in Christchurch, New Zealand, the pain impacts all of us. It hurts here in Canada. Those were the obligatory post-terrorist attack, post-massacre comments that we heard from some politicians here in Canada, talking about how the media has handled this. The Globe has acknowledged that they underplayed it on their cover and they've apologized for that. Andrew Scheer gave his statement and couldn't seem to find a way to say the words Muslim or mosque in a sympathetic tone. So why or, the, or New Zealand. Or New Zealand. Why do you feel like, be it the Globe or be it Andrew Scheer, why do you feel like there is so much difficulty in, in merely expressing sympathy? Because I think people don't pause after something like this happens. I think in the age of social media, the reaction is to get something out there quickly because it is so fast. And and this these two attacks in, on two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, happened so quickly. Mm-hmm. We watched it live. If you watch that live video, the manifesto was up. The reaction was quick. Everything just happened so quickly. So the immediate reaction for a leader or for any news organization is to put something together and put it out there so that, you know, we're on it and, and we can say that we acknowledged it and, and we're grieving and, and we're there. But when you do things quickly, I think sometimes you can make mistakes. Or, or betray your biases or, I, mean, I don't know, you're, you're being generous. Like, I, you know, you don't think Andrew Scheer was like, is there a way that I can be sympathetic and say the right words without saying mosque or Muslim in a nice way because I have potential voters who don't want to hear me say that? I don't know what went through his mind when he put that out. But I think that not acknowledging the motivations that led to the attack and the ideology of the shooter that was already out there that was available for him to see and read or for his team to see and read and and not convey that it was so similar to something that happened in our backyard just two years ago. In fact, the, the killer acknowledged Bissonette in a little homage writing on his gun, the, the name. Exactly. So I think the fact that everything, all the information was there and someone just had to read it on his team and make sure that the message conveyed was one that was applicable to what Canadian Muslims would have been feeling in that very moment, which would have been utter shock, but also just complete dismay that this happened again. It happened with a link to something that we were still struggling to understand uh, here at home. And I think he made a mistake by trying to be first. So if the mistake is to not pause, let me not make that mistake and pause for a second here. Because 
we don't miss a beat. The show's got a format. It's got a tone. And yet it's an entirely inappropriate tone for what happened. And I'm talking to somebody who's not only a journalist covering this, but a Muslim. And yeah. I know when the synagogue massacre in Pittsburgh occurred, I felt angry and unsafe. And the gap between me feeling like that could have been me to like, that that is me. There's just no distinction. It's just a matter of random happenstance. And I've been trying to extend that to feel like there there is no distinction if it happens in a mosque or a synagogue. Not especially with this one, because it happened on a Friday, there was no distinction. Yeah. Because I knew that 12 hours after the fact that I would be in a mosque in Toronto that afternoon. So that was me. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> Seriously. I, I don't I don't know how to answer that question anymore, purely because a lot of people have asked me. I think I'm still not over the fact that 50 people died during a Friday prayer in a country that has never seen gun violence ever before. I, I, I still can't imagine, you know. I've lived in Canada for almost 10 years now. And, you know, throughout my life, I've seen all manners of things happen across the world. Mosque attacks, Pittsburgh, you know, LGBTQ clubs being attacked, all, all kinds of minorities being Churches, targeted. Pulse. Exactly. Yeah. All kinds of things. But this is a country that had never seen anything like this. And I can't even imagine, you know, being in a position where that was the first kind of thing they've ever experienced personally. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how I am. I I still shake when I talk about it. I still get emotional thinking about it. Every time I see, like yesterday, I saw the New Zealand iconic leaf that was redrawn with all 50 members of of the of the Muslim community who who were killed uh, in that attack in in various positions of prayer. That broke me. So it's not something that I'm over yet. And it's not something that the community is over yet based on my Twitter mentions. But you know, you you have to talk about it because I think that's part of the problem why uh, Andrew Shear's tweet, and not just Andrew Shear, you know, Maxine Bernier's tweet, um, several leaders who acknowledged it, but maybe didn't hit quite the right note. We really noticed this time because the connection to Canada was so explicit in this in the shooting. You know, the shooter directly aligned himself with Bissonnette in Quebec. He live streamed it. And I think it took a while for our leaders to hit the right notes and say, okay, we have a problem now because this is something that traveled from our backyard to New Zealand now. So it must be real. It must be a threat. Yeah. and I think for for many members in the Muslim community, if not all members of the Muslim community, it was like, hey, we've been saying this for years and 50 more people had to die before you all decided that, yeah, it's a problem. Let's start talking about it. it it's not a symbolic gesture to say it happened to you. It, it's not a symbolic gesture for me to say, well, what happened in a Pittsburgh synagogue? That, that is my synagogue. It's a practical consideration for me to consider your mosque, my synagogue, those victims, me, it's, it's, there's no us versus them anymore. It's just all of us. Well, there is a them and the, 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 the them. <laughs> well, yeah, the us versus them has changed. Well, look, whether it's in the Pulse nightclub or whether it's in, in, in a mosque in Quebec city or a synagogue in Pittsburgh, it is angry white men. It's angry white men and they're targeting me and they're targeting you and they're targeting LGBTQ and they're targeting black Christians. We know who we're talking about here. It's not just angry white men. I think that reduces their ideas and and makes it almost, you know, blasé. I think it's it's the shooters are always angry white men, but 
they're also angry white men who are anti-immigrant, who are anti, uh, who are Islamophobic, who are misogynistic, who carry these very strong beliefs against uh, multiculturalism and globalization. And I think we need to really understand the layers of their thinking in order to tackle the problem, if we're serious about tackling the problem. Well, the prime minister definitely said in no uncertain terms that this is something we got to talk about. We got to talk about white supremacy. We got to, mm-hmm. you know, address it. We got to remove it from our backyards. We got to remove it online. He, he said it in very powerful terms. My question is, how do you do that? Because they're such strong feelings. And I know because I've been seeing them online constantly since I tweeted about Andrew Shear's tweet and asked about his connections to, you know, members of the white nationalist population here in Canada. They're here and they're and they're still being put out in, in, in the public realm. And I don't think anyone has a solution or a, a plan. Even. I, I, I take your point that... Um... The, the problem with just saying these are angry white men is is that, first of all, that seems to like make them dig in their heels and they say, yeah. okay, you're racist now. Yeah. You, you just hate white men. And uh, to not deal with the actual underlying ideology is a mistake because, we, you know, when we don't want to give a platform to that ideology and it's, it's – I'm happy to go through this, this stupidity of the ideology that a secret cabal of globalist Jews are trying to replace white people with Muslims and, I guess, black people. I, you know, like, you know, like, I'm happy to delve into it because I think it needs to be explicated and exposed for the just idiocy that it is because that's what gets us to – diagnose the problem in its entirety, not just at its radical fringe. So when you have Kaylin Ford, uh, the star candidate of Jason Kenney, actually saying, here's the quote, and Press Progress got the exclusive on this, I am somehow saddened by the demographic replacement of white peoples in their homelands. That's what she wrote. She said, it is clear that it will not be a peaceful transition. So that's not a person with a rifle in a mosque. But it is part of the same system of ideology. It is a, a supportive text that is, has sympathy, that sees a cause and effect. It's part of an ideology. Like, that's that's what we're really up against. And it's a mainstream ideology. And it's a growing mainstream ideology. Yeah. And I think that's the problem. Look, I'll, I'll be the first one to say that I, as a Muslim journalist, have actively avoided talking about this issue in the public realm. Purely because I know what's going to happen, you know? Like, to to recap Friday very quickly for me. I tweet a message of mourning because, you know, that's my first emotion. Two hours later, Andrew Shear tweets his, his his very broad, you know, message of mourning. When he did that, I wrote my tweet. I, I wrote, hey, Andrew Shear, what about your connections to these people in here in Canada? What Do about regret speaking it? at United We Roll at the same event that Faith Goldie spoke at? Yeah. And, I, and actually, I'll, I'll read the tweet out to you. Sure. I wrote, hi, Andrew Shear. I'm a reporter with National Observer. You recently spoke at a rally with Faith Goldie, a known white supremacist who has bashed Muslims many times. Do you regret doing that in light of the Christchurch mosque attacks? How do you plan to tackle white supremacy and Islamophobia? At current time, it has over 11,000 likes and over 4,000 retweets. I think it's worth pausing here just to say that that is a perfectly legitimate question for any reporter to ask it was not biased in no any i mean way, there's people who quibble with claims <laughs> we've received criticism as have you like oh that's a that's a lying question because he didn't speak with that suggests that they were standing on the same stage or that they were standing arm in arm in fact they were at different parts maybe he didn't know i don't want to play footsie with this idiocy okay this is the leader of the conservative party he knew that faith goldie was speaking there He's... but we don't know if he knew i think that's why we're asking we're asking did you know and if you knew 
Did you go there knowing that she would be there and knowing what that would look like? Okay. And if you, you're more generous knew, than I am. <laughs> I mean, you know, if it's possible that he didn't know, uh, yeah. Let let let's speak to that. Talk about it for God's sakes. Well, would, yeah. would you do it I'm, again? I'm you know? asking. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I think my questions are perfectly legitimate, and I tweeted them the next morning. I didn't tweet them that night because I was hesitant to do so. And I think the reason why I've been actively not talking about this in the public realm is because I know the reaction and and predictably the reaction was very intense, very endless and and very hurtful a lot of it. I can say that I stand in solidarity and that what happens to you is what happens to me, but I'm not a woman and I'm not brown and I'm not a Muslim. And so when I speak up on Twitter, the repercussions are different for me than they are for you. And I mean, you, you get a lot of tweets too. <laughs> I do, but I, I have a position of privilege where like I can enjoy that and not fear uh, most yeah. of the time, with yeah. a, a few handful exceptions, mostly it's it's at a, at a different level. What are your mentions like? They're they're very intense. I want to shout out first to the people who have supported, who have been very supportive and said, you know, yes, finally, there's a reporter who's asking these questions. And, and I want to come back to that because it baffles my mind that it took us two weeks and a tragedy for a Canadian reporter to ask the leader of the Conservative Party about his connections to this group. I, that kind of baffles me a little bit. Mm-hmm. But we asked him, we being the National Observer, asked him the day after the rally why he attended it and why whether he was endorsing those ideas. And he did not respond. When I asked on Twitter, he did not respond. So there have been a lot of messages of support that said, finally, you did it. Thank you, etc. But there have been just as many, if not more, people claiming that I am a spreader of hate that I am a bad reporter, fake news for asking these questions, that I don't know what I'm talking about, that I am a liberal lackey, that I'm a terrorist sympathizer. And I'm not quoting, so this is me sort of um, I wonder which terrorist they're, they're referring to, the one who actually just committed terrorism? I don't think so. So, yeah, no, the, the reactions have been intense. Some of them have th- been threatening. Some of them have just been very hurtful. But again, I think I'm... As a journalist and as a Muslim journalist, I guess, because if we're talking about this, let's let's be real. I am a Muslim journalist. I I think it's important to ask these questions, especially at a time when this these kind of tragedies keep happening again and again. And each time they happen, the ideology behind it is the same. And for some reason, we're just we don't talk about it. And I think that's why as difficult as it is, I'm sitting with you now and and. We have to understand that they're not just angry white men. They're angry white men with a serious ideological base that is growing and that we need to start addressing and tackling and really questioning and understanding. And more importantly than that, we need to understand how they have linked themselves to our leaders and our political systems, because that is important moving forward. I've said this again in in the wake of of the tragedy. Since it happened, there's been a lot of, you know, we celebrate our multiculturalism. We think that diversity is our strength here in Canada. But if it is truly our strength, then I should be allowed as a journalist to ask the leader of a major political party why he was present in the same space as the ideology that is hurting members of a significant diverse community in Canada. And I think I'm entitled to answers as a journalist. It's ludicrous that you have to say these things. And it's it's ludicrous, and I understand why, that you, you are drawing a line at like, hey, it's it's okay for me to ask these questions. It's okay for us to demand answers. It's actually okay to do more than that, but it's easier for me to, like, it's actually okay to be against that ideology. Like, it's it's okay to say that we're not just going to question and draw out and expose this, this ideology. It's okay to be against white supremacists, but it's easier for me 
to, to be so than for you. Because for you to say, I am against white supremacists who I cover, opens you up to all sorts of abuse. I'll say it. it. It's okay to be against racist murderers. It's okay. But I think if the if my mentions have taught me anything, it's that people are still, I, people don't fully understand journalism. They don't understand how it operates and found it appalling that someone would put a question like this out there. And look, I get it. I think most people think that journalism happens, you know, between a journalist and the subject. You know, I get that. The fact that I think part of the reason why everyone was so shocked is because I put those questions on Twitter. And and was it a slightly emotional reaction? Sure. But also it was a perfectly Stop. legitimate question. Stop. Of course I, you can ask no, that I, I have to defend myself and I have to explain this because people don't get it. You'd yeah, be surprised at how many people don't get it. Do you think that the people who are trolling you don't get it? Yes, be- be- I, I actually because I they do. don't understand journalism. Well, okay, they're, they're, Is that what, oh, they're just confused people who don't understand journalism. Is that what you think they're responding to? There are various levels of trolls, for sure. I am not defending all of them, but I'm saying there's also a huge level of ignorance among them. There was one person who, he was an entrepreneur. I I looked at his profile. I looked at his website. He was a perfectly legitimate dude. Probably lived in in the suburbs, you know. I wish I could quote this. But he said, you are not an investigative reporter, because if you were even a good reporter, you would never ask a question like this. And this guy is educated. He He's educated. He has, he's an entrepreneur. He's a businessman. He, and he's he's telling me that I'm not <laughs> a journalist because I'm, I asked a question like this. And then he went on to say, do you feel nothing for the victims? Because if you were truly f- understood what the tragedy was, you would never ask a question like this. And and I'm looking at this dude's profile and I'm looking at his questions and I don't understand. And that the, the only explanation I have is that people don't understand journalism and don't understand that I have a right to ask a question like There's this. There's another explanation. Look, I'm, I'm <laughs> dealing with this too. Like, you know, we did a show talking about the uh, attempted arson at the Radisson Hotel hours after, you know, Faith Goldie and Sue Ann Levy wrote stuff about how the migrants are slaughtering goats or whatever. And then shortly thereafter, somebody took a gas canister, put a rag in the spout, lit it on fire. And I've got people in my mentions saying like, can you prove that they did that because they read Sue Ann Levy's column? Oh, that, that you're calling that a firebombing just because they took a fire canister and lit it on fire. That's not an attempted firebombing. That's, that's a little fire. That's the level that people are engaging with this at, okay? Those people are not in good faith. They're not oh, asking you questions I'm not, in good I'm faith. I'm not saying that, like, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that there is a huge segment of that population that doesn't get it. Yeah, yeah. Or at least, if like... Do you think you can educate them? No, I, I can't. And, 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 and if I could, I would be engaging with them. But the fact that I've stayed very far away from replying to them at all and thanking the few strangers and friends who have tried is evidence of that. I don't know. I don't know. That, I'm, that's why I'm here. I'm talking to you about it. Maybe one of them will hear it and, and maybe they'll regret their comments. But listen, if this is taught me anything, it's that if no one else is going to ask the questions, then fine, I'll do it. And I'll take the trolls and I'll take the hits. Because it's ridiculous that we're in an election year and, and no one is making these connections other than a few journalists on Twitter and that those journalists are getting bashed. This episode is brought to you by the Center for Addiction and Mental Health, CAMH. We hear a lot about the opioid crisis. We talk a lot about the mental health crisis. These are serious problems. These problems affect us all. They've affected my life and my community. 
They're not intractable problems. I don't know what's going to solve them on a policy level, but day-to-day helping people, that's what CAMH does. They do it on the ground when people need help, and they do it through research. The team at CAMH gave our team a tour of their facilities, and we were really just blown away by the incredible, heroic work that they're doing every day. They treat everyone with dignity, and their research is seeking and finding real solutions for everyone around the world. Help change mental health care forever. Your support will help CAMH build a future where no one is left behind. Donate at camh.ca slash CanadaLand to help CAMH treat addiction and build hope. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Fatima, we note duly things in the press that should be noted duly, more duly-ish than they have been thus far. So here's what I want to duly note. We were all focused on New Zealand, but also on Friday, there was a huge strike by students across the world, including Canada, rallying for climate change action. And I went to one in Toronto. A colleague of mine went to one in Vancouver. And there was the biggest one, shockingly, was in Montreal. And it was huge. It's actually, I don't know if you've seen photos of this. It was absolutely massive and amazing to see. I want to duly note these kids because I think, you know, you have this huge generation of of young people who are rising up to tackle issue that is way above their pay grade and and way bigger than probably anything they've ever tackled in their lives and will ever tackle in their lives. And I think that kind of got lost a little bit. But their protests were amazing. I was at the rally where, you know, they were saying things like there's no planet B. Adults need to learn (laughs) to behave. They were really, uh, you know, fighting the governments and leaders around the world. So shout out to them. You can get more coverage of that, obviously, at National Observer and anywhere where there is Internet. (laughs) Youth in Revolt, duly noted. I've got one. What's your duly noted, Jesse? McLean's has a new home. McLean's and all of the other Rogers publications. Uh, Rogers just doesn't want to make stuff anymore. And they've been trying to get rid of their magazines. Uh, first, they got rid of all their magazine makers, or a lot of them, 75 layoffs. And basically, the only reason why Rogers Publishing has had these magazines since is that they don't want to be the bad guys who kill the storied uh, Canadian publication McLean's. You know, Hockey News was going to buy it. That fell through. Then Allison Uncles, the editor, along with Scott Gilmore, made a play, which sounded good to me, for employees to buy it. But that fell through. Now St. Joe's has it. St. Joe's, I used to work for St. Joe's when I wrote for Saturday Night Magazine, uh, Toronto Life. They're owned by the Gagliano family, very wealthy Catholic family, who have a printing press. They figure, well, we got this whole printing press. Might as well print some stuff. And uh, that's how they got into magazine publishing. Anyhow... We'll see what happens. I, I guess there's a lot of possible uh, repercussions of this. One of which, which uh, we touched on earlier, is the Rogers podcasting effort frequency was all about 
mining those magazines, McLean's Canadian Business. Uh, they were making podcasts based on repurposing the journalism in their magazines, and now those magazines are gone, so I'm kind of curious what's going to happen with Frequency Podcasts. Duly noted. Did you enjoy the budget this year? Good <laughs> budget part, for you? Beginning, middle, or end? I mean, how, how do you pick? <laughs> I think the ending was entertaining at the very least. If not, you know, I have, I have thoughts on that. I'm a one-issue guy with the budget, <laughs> and that issue is the media bailout. Let's hear it, Jesse. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Can you say that more convincingly? Ask me that like you care. <laughs> Tell me what you think, Jesse. I've told everybody what I think about this. It's so boring being right. You know, I knew the fix was in from the beginning, and then everything that happens just affirms my sour disposition towards this thing. And I actually was surprised because I thought that, like, though I knew this thing was going to be tailor-made to make sure that, like, post-media gets most of it, followed by Torstar, followed by, you know, Globe and Mail, Irvings, et cetera, et cetera. I thought that they would at least make some, like, gestures towards, like, see, we've got some digital recipients here. And it's actually just atrocious. Rather than just screed on here, why don't I just uh, read from this thing? As we knew, a, a panel of independent journalists will be government appointed. It will be their job to determine who is a QCJO. I see you wondering, what, 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 what is, is that? A, what is a QCJO, Jesse? I'm so glad you asked. It's a Qualified Canadian Journalistic Organization. So, you know, essentially you go before a jury of your peers and like, look, if they somebody asked me yesterday at this event, come on, if they asked you to be on that panel, you'd do it. I got a business to run. I don't have time to sit on a panel. I mean, all these other concerns aside, you know who sits on panels like this? Like retired journalists, like a bunch of old journalists will likely, no, maybe they'll find some young ones who have some time on their hands. It'll probably be paid. And anyhow, you got to go to them and say, please wave your magic wand over my head and designate me a qualified Canadian journalism organization. And some organizations will get that and some won't. We know a little bit about the criteria. A qualified organization must employ two or more journalists. Bam. Like right out of the gate, you have eliminated most journalism startups. Like most journalism startups is a laid off journalist saying, all right, I'm going to try something. In my spare time, I'm going to, like, I'll, I'll try to launch a sole proprietorship. I'm going to try to cover something or launch a website. And so typically when you're trying to incentivize innovation in a space, it's like incubator. It's like you're trying to motivate new stuff. This just right out the gate, you have to be incorporated and have two employees before you can get any of this money. And the money is like up to $13,750 per employee if they're making 55 grand or more. So it ain't nothing. And it's not going to apply to to new stuff. I mean, I, I started Canada Land in my spare time and did it by myself for a year. I wouldn't have qualified if this had been in place then. So here's another one for you, Fatima. Tell me, Jesse. A qualified organization must be primarily engaged in the production of original written news content. Mm -hmm. Okay? No podcast companies, no video journalists, no data journalists. If you're like doing a startup where you're creating a service or an app, uh, unless you're doing articles. You, you, you won't be considered. Mm -hmm. Except there's a huge loophole in this thing. What's the loophole? The loophole is that they don't actually go journalist by journalist and say, are you a qualified journalist? They go organization by organization, right? So you can go to the Globe and Mail, let's say, and say, okay, you are primarily creating written content. You have two or more employees, et cetera, et cetera. You, you meet our criteria. Of course, they meet the criteria. It was designed so that the Globe and Mail and Post Media meet the criteria. Once they're qualified, though, anybody who works in an editorial capacity at the Globe and Mail qualifies for the subsidy. That includes, I mean, Globe and Mail has made podcasts. They still make podcasts. So I'm going to be in an environment where, like, it's like CBC making podcasts. It's like the papers can subsidize their podcast creators. 
you know, Rogers, I don't know what that's going to happen with them as mentioned, but chorus, but they're already subsidized because they've got a protected market. Like I'll be up against these mega companies, each one of which is getting subsidized by taxpayer dollars. You know, this isn't just me. Like anybody, if you're doing YouTube, like if you're doing videos, you know, if Tristan Hopper does videos for the National Post, he can be subsidized. But if somebody else is doing videos covering their local legislature, like Joey Coleman in Hamilton, he can't be. Well, I think there's also a question of freelancers, right? Even a lot of the legacy organizations are, are, are using freelancers now more and more for some of their digital stuff and photography and videography. So, yeah, I have questions about how that will work. Well, I got answers. There's nothing in here for freelancers. There's there's no there's no subsidies for freelancers. This is for like staff employees who like have to be working like 26 hours a week or more, 40 weeks, 40 weeks a year or more to get but, a subsidy. But if the freelancers are working for like the Globe and Mail, which you say is going to get all the money, then... No, like, like maybe if you believe in like some kind of trickle down economics, then with the extra money, the globe has they'll hire more freelancers. But that's another big problem with this. There's nothing in here. You don't have to do anything to maintain the money except just keep these people employed. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you're post media who do the math, you know, 13,000, almost 14,000 per journalist. If you, if you have, you know, a few hundred journalists, maybe you've got a thousand even we're into well into the millions. So you're getting millions from the government. But that's no strings attached money. Like you don't have to spend it on more journalism. You don't have to hire more reporters. It doesn't prevent you from firing reporters. You don't have to raise the wages. The quality of the journalism doesn't seem to have anything to do with it. I mean, the government doesn't want to get into like judging the quality of the journalism. Um, but that means that like, you know, the Toronto Sun can publish goat slaughtering columns and that could be subsidized. And essentially those millions of dollars can just go into owners pockets. Management can just keep that money. Like this is really startling. So you don't like it? I, uh, I'll let you know. I'm still trying to make up my Is mind. there anything about it that you like? <sighs> anything about the media section? See, this would be an opportunity for me to show that I'm not some some uh, rabid ideologue by saying, well, there is this one nice... No. There I has mean, to be one Yes, thing. yes, okay. They, they solved... I mean, this was the lowest hanging fruit, but it is going to be possible for organizations to register as, like, not actual charities, but they call them donees, so that people can donate money like it was ridiculous that we couldn't just give money to a journalistic organization and have it be you know like get a tax receipt the way you would for a charity but even that's really fucked up in this because you first have to meet the first criteria that i was talking like you know it, it, it's got to be written like podcasting or video company can't qualify oh oh it gets worse there's no transparency or accountability in, in the rules that they've set out so we won't know which news organizations are getting millions of dollars and which ones aren't no, well only for the donees, only for the only language in there about transparency or accountability applies to the ones that are receiving donations. So they have to, if they're getting like private donations from, from citizens, they have to say, okay, here, here are the donors. But if they're getting public money from, from the government, they don't have to, at least according to what they've, all of this is just like, you know, this vague language that they've released so far. This will get refined. I think. What about, do you like the, the fact that people can now get tax returns for subscribing to a media organization? Oh, that was the one thing that I was hugely in favor of, except that it's only, here's what you can get. You can get 15% of your money back, which is not really enough to motivate, you know, like most subscriptions, if you're paying somewhere between five and 30 bucks a month. And it goes up to like, if you spend $500 a year on new subscriptions, you'll get 75 bucks back if you keep track of all that and keep it on your taxes. But it only applies to qualified Canadian journalism organizations. Wah, wah. What happens if you get qualified? Will you have to take back all these words? I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I hope to eat these words. What I keep waiting for is for somebody from Heritage to come up and be like, Jesse, you're getting this all wrong. You're, you're misinterpreting this. Wait for it. This isn't going to be so bad. Maybe that'll happen. Mm -hmm. I can only go by the language they've put out so far. And, you know, we have a problem here in that 
the very act, like we were leaving a little bit of wiggle room for ourselves to be a part of this because Jonathan Goldsby was like, don't get so hot headed, Jesse. And, and say, we're not taking this money. Because, like, what if it's just on your tax return for Canada Land, you just check a box saying we qualify for this tax return and then you pay less taxes, you know? You're running a business. You have to, you can't shut the door on that. So we were leaving some room for it? No. In fact, it's our worst fear. Like, it looks like, as far as I can tell, in order to get any of the benefits, we would have to go to a panel of journalists who we cover and say, please wave your magic wand on us, deem us to be qualified and good, and then we can get money for that. So we can't, that's a, we're, that's a conflict of interest. We can't do that. But everybody's kind of in that if you cover the government, because it is a government-appointed body. It's just more direct for us, because it's a government-appointed body of journalists. It's really bad. And I, and I don't know of any other Western democracy that has anything like this. Like, it's a bizarre experiment that we're that we're conducting here. I have more questions than answers, I, I guess, just based on what's written in the budget. And, and my main concern, which I've said before to you as well, is whether this plan is going to help underserved communities who have seen, you know, media layoffs lately. You know, we've had a lot of small newspapers, small town newspapers shut down in the past year or two. And that was my concern. And I don't know if this plan addresses that yet. So it'll be interesting I to do. see. I do. It doesn't. <laughs> it'll be interesting to see who qualifies, who doesn't, and how the procedure actually plays out. Hey, I'm, I'm with you. If, as, as much as I hate this on a million levels, if it guaranteed that local journalism would stay alive in various communities, we're like, all right, we have to admit that that's a good thing. Nothing in here guaranteeing that whatsoever. Maybe it'll come out when they hammer out the rest of it. We'll have to see. That's your shortcuts. Email me about it. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything you send. We are on Twitter at Canadaland. Fatima, where can people find you? I am on Twitter still. I'm at Fatima B. Sayed. That's F-A-T-I-M-A-B-S-Y-E-D. And you can also email me. Find me on nationalobserver.com. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Check it out right now and you'll find out about the Buffalo Chronicle and why it's bullshit. That is an article uh, by Justin Ling on the CanadaLandShow.com website. Also, surprise, there is an episode of Wag the Doug that is available for you to download right now. Our pop-up podcast about the Doug Ford administration is back because it is needed. This episode is produced by Jordan Cornish. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is handled by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Check them out at CFUV.ca. If you like what we do, if you want to receive ad-free versions of our podcasts, you can choose to support us. The government won't force you to do so. You actually have to do it by your own volition. You can do so at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.